This week's episode is brought to you by FOCO USA. FOCO is the official face covering of the Iowa Hawkeyes, and if you've been watching Iowa football at all this year, you've seen the new Hawkeye face coverings and neck gaiters that the players and coaches have been wearing, and FOCO was even nice enough to send some out to myself and Thad, and they look great, and they're definitely the most high-quality face mask that I've had since this whole thing started, and if you wanted to grab one for yourself, feel free to head over to FOCO.com and even tell them that the All Eyes crew sent you. What's up, all of you beautiful people, and welcome back to the All Eyes Podcast. And, well, who knows what's going on? Is Iowa playing a game next Wednesday? Maybe. Uh, Maybe not. Obviously, the big news is that Kirk Ferentz tested positive for COVID-19, along with, I believe, six members of the coaching staff. I don't know if he's added into that number or not. So I guess until we hear different, we're just going to pretend like Iowa is playing Missouri in the Music City Bowl. And to be honest, you know, that – when you heard that this bowl game was announced, you know, what were some of your initial just on the surface um, thoughts or impressions about it? Well, the first thing I had to do was remind myself that Missouri is an SEC team because <laughs> I started to go look up, okay, I need a little more information about him. And the first thing that pops up is like Big 12 stuff. And oh no, they're an SEC team now. Uh, so first go to that and be like, all right, they played 10 games. Um, and just start digging through some of their stuff. And I remember hearing about um, a while back when there was some talk. I can't remember if it was uh, one of the Saturday morning pregame shows. And they were talking about uh, what they do offensively. And they've got kind of this really unique system and their approach. So kind of went through to take a look at some of that. And uh, then you notice you're looking at scores and you see them put, giving up 40, 50 points all the time. So then start digging into some of that and just try to get a feel and an excitement thinking, okay, Iowa with the way they were playing should be a pretty heavy favorite. And the other thing I thought of is I'm really happy this game is when it is. And the way this season worked out, it's kind of really cool because instead of bowl game and bowl season being a month down the road and you don't really know what the team's going to look like at that point. I mean, we're, it's just a couple weeks after their last game. So, and it would have been even less if that Michigan game would have been played. So it doesn't feel like a typical bowl season with this big lead up that team, the Iowa team can really run with the momentum they have, which in my opinion is a great thing for, for them. Yeah. You know, I I had similar thoughts when I saw Missouri. I mean, obviously there are teams I would have rather, I would rather played. And a lot of the bowls actually stuck with the bowl tie in kind of, you know, formula. So that negated a lot of potential matchups that could have been made as sort of just, you know, pinning two teams of even quality together. Right. But when I dug a little bit into Missouri, a little bit more anyway, it did feel like, okay, well, this team isn't just hapless. You know, this isn't a team that just snuck into five wins going five and five, you know, they at least can put up points. They present interesting matchups. Um, and they're still a team that I, I think is really just trying to figure it out. And, obviously the big news coming into the year from Missouri was that, you know, they're moving on for Barry Odom, who was kind of a stale um, head of the program there. And they're moving on to former app state head coach, Eli Drinkwitz. And the thing about Drinkwitz that I, I don't know, I, I was very uninterested about that hire in the off season because I do say formerly of app state, but he literally only spent one year on the coaching staff in total there. And a lot of that success or the guys that they had on that, that team, and it's a talented App State team, was from Scott Satterfield. So it, it's just one of those things like, okay, he, he, he jumped ship the, op, the second he saw an opportunity to you know, raise his status in college football. And Missouri was struggling to find a guy for, you know, they didn't have a coach for about, I think, two weeks when they fired Barry Odom, which was a weird build process for him because it felt like they were striking out quite a bit. And – you know, with, with Drinkwitz, I don't really know what to think what to think about him so far. He's kind of like that running gun style, which Missouri has had in the past. And they kind of looked similar to old school Missouri teams. You know, I think of the Matty Mock-led team at Missouri. This definitely has a similar feel, especially with Connor uh, 
Bazelak, is that how you pronounce his last name, the quarterback for them? Um, he's a freshman, and he, I mean, there's some ability there. I mean, there's, it's a guy that if, you know, you mess up in zone, he's going to hurt you. He can put it on, guys. He's a better passer than a lot of the quarterbacks Iowa has faced this season for sure. And, you know, Larry Roundtree at the running back position, not a guy that's going to really wow you, but he does have some quick feet. Um, he's a guy who can catch passes out of the backfield. And the one big disappointing thing that I think, um, which is kind of like the bomb for Missouri's football team from their perspective anyway, is their, their star linebacker, Nick Bolton, isn't playing in this game. And when I was watching Missouri, the, the one thing that got me really excited was, okay, this guy's really good. I can't wait to see that kind of matchup where, you know, Iowa moves to the second level quite a bit. Is Nick Bolton going to disrupt that and really force Iowa to throw the ball? And Missouri has some couple back-end guys that are pretty good too. So that would have been a fun dynamic, and I do think that that loss is pretty massive. But, you know, what are some of your takeaways as you watch um, Missouri on both sides of the ball? I'm going to start offensively. Is It's a team that can put up points. And they have, you know, they're going to spread you out. As you mentioned, it's, it's kind of the Missouri that we saw, you know, past iterations where they're going to have a quarterback that drops back and they might throw it 50 times. And that's what they want to do. And a quarterback, he's going to run around, create things with his own feet. Maybe not somebody who's going to scramble necessarily. And, you know, it's not necessarily a running quarterback, but a quarterback that can uh, make space and create passing lanes for himself with his movement. And so that against this full Parker defense has just shut everybody down. But as you mentioned, it's probably the best quarterback that they, that Iowa, this Iowa defense will see this year. So that's really going to be an interesting thing. But when you go through their numbers, they're not necessarily beating you with one guy or two guys. Uh, there's not a single wide receiver. Uh, I don't think I need to double check, but I don't think they have a wide receiver that has more than two touchdowns. And they only threw, I want to say, seven or eight touchdowns on the season. So in 10 games, it's not like it's a passing attack that's getting a lot. You know, they're using their their spread formations to, to move the ball. But their leading is uh, running back, Larry Roundtree, had 14 touchdowns. So that's where they're getting the bulk of their touchdowns. But it's all set up with this spread offense. And then... On the other hand, you look defensively, and they have struggled. And as you mentioned, they're losing their best player, you know, going to go uh, opt out for this game, going to go for the NFL draft. And Bolton is really the only guy defensively for them that when you watch, you're like, okay, that guy could play at Iowa. There's nobody else when you watch that defense that says, okay, if, if they were at Iowa, that guy would be getting a lot of playing time outside of him. So their run defense is very suspect. So I'm interested to see, do they commit to just say, okay, Iowa, we're going to put eight, nine in the box and we're going to make Spencer Petrus beat us. Or do they do kind of what they do and allow this Iowa offense to just dominate the time of possession and run the ball over and over again? Yeah. And this spread is set at 14 and a half. So, you know, we're talking about this game and Missouri is kind of this, you know, foreign opponent to Iowa, even though they've had past history, but let's not like confuse the fact that this Missouri team is not very good or not up to the standard of what Iowa has shown to be this season. At least they're sort of in that category of like a Penn state or a Nebraska or Minnesota, sort of like a middling team, maybe even lower end team in the big 10. If we're comparing that to the conference and so I guess that's where a lot of people's frustration kind of lies with this matchup because, you know, we've talked about it ever since week one, even, you know, this Iowa team is special. This Iowa team has been so good and it felt like the stars kind of aligned with this team, you know, all over the field on both sides of the ball, um, on the defensive line, on the offensive line at running back at receiver um, linebacker was great corner play and um, safety play was amazing. And it finally feels like Spencer Petrus might be starting to figure it out. And the reward for them just walloping teams week after week for six straight games is five and five Missouri. So, um, so I guess I understand. And I honestly, I feel kind of the same frustration that, you know, 
we're, this doesn't feel like the right payoff for this kind of team. Um, and it, it's a weird year. Big 10 play, you know, I only played eight games. I get it. But, you know, I, I would have loved to see, you know, it, it's 2020. Like, let's do the thing where throw away the bull ties, you know, bull tie-ins. Just make fun matchups that make sense. Because we saw it with BYU and Coastal Carolina. You know, that was a great game. And that game was not supposed to be played until that week. They literally just rescheduled because of a, a COVID outbreak. And it would end up being a great game and a game that kind of, you know, showed where those two programs were at and those two programs were shown to be legit. And so I guess let's, let's play a fun game. And I, I drew this up. So that has no idea what I'm about to say, but let's play. Would you rather? Um, and let's just pretend that, you know, the bull tie-ins are gone and the specific bulls are gone. And we're just making fun matchups for Iowa, this Iowa team with teams that, you know, theoretically could be playing them in the bull kind of scenario. So of the following teams, who would you rather play in a bowl game this Wednesday? So you have Missouri, BYU, Miami, Texas, or Coastal Carolina? I would love to see Iowa play a team like BYU. Uh, mm-hmm. I think the matchups are cool. There's so many storylines in that. I mean, you could first start with Zach Wilson. Iowa was between Spencer Petras and Zach Wilson. And it was basically who's first. Um and I ended up with Spencer Petrus and Zach Wilson is now all of a sudden this guy who was this week compared to like 20 different NFL quarterbacks, <laughs> which is kind of an interesting thing on Twitter that that was getting uh, spread around. But I, to me, that would be number one. I would love to see him play Texas. You know, that I think that would be a great matchup. Uh, and you talk about different, different backgrounds, different ways that they approach football. You know, Texas, again, gonna super reliant on their quarterback. And Iowa's system is not that the quarterback doesn't matter, but the quarterback, you're our manager, and that's the way this offense is designed. And whereas Texas, your quarterback is everything. Everything is reliant on him. I think that would be a great matchup. Uh, Miami, okay. I just, I, to me, Miami was the team that got a lot of, like, talk all year everybody wants Miami to be this team um, but I never watch them and I never I'm like oh yeah that I'd want to see Iowa play them not you know that would be down there and Missouri honestly is probably last um, Mm -hmm. on that list just because I want to see where this Iowa team is at right now and I don't think this Missouri team is going to be a good determination of that like from a physicality standpoint they're not going to be able to match up with Iowa at all um, so that part is down there and coastal Carolina, they've had a nice team, a really good team. Um, they're playing well, but it's not a team that I would be quite as excited. They're probably would be third. I'd say BYU, Texas, coastal Carolina, Miami, and then Missouri, uh, would be my breakdown of that. But I, I agree with you that you feel like after, Iowa rattles off these six straight wins. It's like, okay, there's talk of a, you know, maybe sneaking into a, a New Year's Day type game. And then um, it's like, no, they're going to keep everything standard. And it was a big letdown because you had all these ideas of, hey, this is the year to do something interesting. But after it happens, I just said to myself, well, did I really expect the NCAA, not that they're fully in charge, but like, was the Big Ten, was the NCAA, were these like old school bowl games? Were they going to change their ways? Probably not. You mentioned BYU, Coastal Carolina. It took two outsiders really to make something neat happen this year. So we were probably not going to see it, you know, from your standard, you know, standard college football groups. Yeah. And that's, I think the biggest disappointment because, you know, it, it is the year to do it when games are being canceled and, everything's uncertain and there's not really uh, uh, a lot of bowl games are opting out. They're just not going to have their game for whatever reason. And, you know, BYU today smoked UCF. I think that they, if you think about like from the BYU fans perspective, I bet that they wanted to test themselves against a much higher opponent because they felt so confident in, in their skill and, and how good that team was. And then you look at Texas, they're playing Colorado. So they're like revitalizing an old rivalry kind of game, but 
I bet they wanted some kind of better payoff as well. Coastal Carolina is playing Liberty. Um, you know, that there's, that's going to be interesting, but that's, you know, it's nothing that moves the needle nationally. And then, you know, it, it just feels like there were definitely some better matchups that Iowa could have had if you just remove that bull tie-in aspect. And I, like you said, I, I'm right there with you. I would have loved to see BYU. I would have loved to see um, Texas as well. Um, and also, this is kind of a, a – what a disappointing year for the, the Cyhawk game not to happen because, man, imagine that being the bowl game. Imagine Iowa State and Iowa, you know, facing off in a bowl game. And I know Iowa State fans are saying, we have bigger fish to fry, which their bigger fish is Oregon. <laughs> I mean, it's just silly. And it would have been such a fun game. And I do think that, you know, Iowa would, would win. And I, I, it just, I just miss that aspect because you know that Iowa State fans just kind of hold on to the what-ifs. And they're thinking, oh, well, this is the best Iowa State team in a long time. Well, this is the best Iowa team in a long time. When does that align like that? You know, I, I can't remember the last time it aligned like that. It would have been such a great game. Um, stylistically, two good teams, you know, a, a chance to make that game. That was like my hope of maybe somehow that's going to happen. But once Iowa State was playing in the Big 12 championship game, you kind of, as long as they kept it, close with Oklahoma you knew they were going to get into probably a higher bowl game than Iowa and how fun that would have been because you know both teams can talk about well there's a bad early season loss but they were playing a lot better and you know the Iowa State I, I could go on a rant forever about listening to them talk about their wins <laughs> uh, but I there's in the Big Ten, it's kind of the same way. There's nobody that stands out this year. We mentioned it a lot. Like, quarterback play was just really down um, in general. I mean, you can look at some of the top players in, in the nation, and, yeah, they were playing well. But just if you look around college football, quarterback play was a real struggle this year. And you have to attribute that a lot to missed time in the spring and the summer. And so now you could have had Iowa, Iowa State – you know, it could have been the, the Bush light bowl or whatever they <laughs> wanted to have for that. And it would have been a huge hit in, in a great game. And, and plus Iowa would have won. So, you know, there would have been months worth of holding on to that. And unfortunately they don't get to play, but at least uh, the Cyhawk trophy resides in its proper home. You know, and if next year, if Iowa does play Iowa state and Iowa wins, Iowa State fans are going to be like, well, you wouldn't have beat the 2020 team. We, that was the best team in, in program history. <laughs> and it's just unfortunate that that can even be a conversation that is seriously had as an argument. And I don't care what, what Iowa State does with Oregon. Oregon has struggled at times this year. I know that they just beat USC in the, in the Pac-12 championship game, which was a total sham, by the way. They've only played like four games each. And USC looked completely outclassed. But Oregon just hasn't been impressive this year. I mean, they lost to Oregon State. They've had a couple uh, close ones with other teams that I'm blanking on right now. Iowa would have been a more exciting matchup for Iowa State if Iowa, Iowa State fans are being serious about that. Um, with Missouri, it's just, you know, we've already, I've already said it, but it's just kind of unfortunate because I feel like no matter what happens, you know, if Iowa wins this game by 30, Nobody's going to care nationally. They're going to say, oh, well, Iowa took care of business. This is a good team. They're going to move on. And if Missouri wins, I don't think anybody's going to care either, to be honest with you. You know, oh, six and five Missouri. Cool. Um, and that's just a really unfortunate kind of scenario that this team is finding itself in because this team is a team that, you know, if a couple breaks go their way, they're eight and no. And they're potentially looking at a college football playoff. I mean, if they can hang, if they can play Ohio State, you know, in the Big, Big Ten championship game, that's probably a fun game. I think that, you know, they, they would definitely be able to move the ball better than Northwestern did against Ohio State because Northwestern looked hapless at times, and Ohio State was almost giving them the game at some points, and they just couldn't take advantage of it in any way. Yeah, we were uh, talking a little bit during that that. And I think you might have even had it on Twitter that Ohio State was trying to let Northwestern win that game at different times. Like 
they were saying like here Northwestern, like, come on, come on, you can do it. Like you, you can do that. You can win this one. Uh, and Northwestern, I mean, as we saw kind of all year, just uh, offensively didn't have enough. And, and defensively, they kind of had a gimmick scheme to start. They're really dropping coverage a bunch. And, and they were causing the Ohio State offense some troubles at first. And, and Justin Fields did not play very well. But then they just ran all over them um, by the end. And then, you know, a week or two later, all of a sudden, we see this kind of mass exodus of uh, transfers and grad transfers out of that Northwestern program. Yeah, I wonder what's going to happen with, with that situation. Where's Pat Fitzgerald being linked to right now? Is it the Chicago Bears or what, what even – what's going on there? I think a lot of people think that's kind of the most logical one. Uh, I mean, we know that he was interviewed for the uh, Green Bay Packers job a couple years ago. Um, he was a part of that interview process. And we do know it has been reported that teams have reached out to Northwestern's athletic director asking for permission for interviews. Um, and it was plural teams. So uh, there are several and uh, he would make an outstanding NFL coach. Uh, he is a great football coach. Uh, so part of me is like, I wouldn't mind if he weren't in North at Northwestern, they'd be less competitive. But at the same time, like he makes that series with Northwestern way more exciting than any other coach can do for them. He's made Northwestern competitive. He's made the big 10 West better because of it. Um, when Northwestern is not a bottom feeder, it just helps that division. So part of me wouldn't mind him out of there in terms of recruiting, in terms of just that part. But the other part from kind of a big 10 fan and, and the standpoint of the Big Ten West, it would be uh, too bad to see him leave because he is a really good coach and has made that program way more competitive than it should be. Right. When you think of Northwesterns, it's not a team that you, in theory, should hate or want to hate. You know, there shouldn't be this much passion between Iowa and Northwestern, and it's become a real uh, passion-filled rivalry, and it's because of him. You know, I don't know if it was four years ago or – back in 2016 or whatever it was, but it got leaked out of practice. You know, a player from Northwestern basically said, you know, Pat Fitzgerald really fucking hates Iowa is basically what he said. And I, and everybody, I, all the Iowa fans already kind of knew that just given how, you know, Pat Fitzgerald is and how fiery he is and how he's always looked at Iowa as, you know, being the team he wants to take down and he's built such a great program there. And yeah, I, the part of me of I wanting Iowa to have a better chance to make the Big Ten championship game every single year is probably where Pat Fitzgerald just leaves the Big Ten, and that would be great. But if he's not there, I don't know if this Northwestern program is even close to where it's at. You know, maybe he's established a culture just by being there so long and by building an identity and giving them a blueprint of how to be successful at that school. But him as an individual, he's he, it's, he's just one of those guys that can build a program and keep it there, and he's not, you know, a one-off kind of wonder living off the success of a previous coach or a guy who, honestly, I'm going to call it James Franklin, who I think is just a really great recruiter and doesn't really do a lot of great ingenuitive or, into, um, uh, you know, crazy stuff, inventive stuff in the game as far as play calling and play design is concerned. So, yeah, I – Part of me wants him gone. Part of me wants him to stay. Uh, it would definitely be a big loss for the Big Ten Conference as a whole if he ends up somewhere else next year. I think he's the second longest tenured coach in the Big Ten behind Kirk Ferentz. And he knows, kind of like Kirk Ferentz at Iowa, like he knows what it takes to be successful. He knows the people, the type of recruits he needs to be successful. Um, up until this year, they've had almost no transfers out of that program. I mean, you look at um, – conference-wide transfer numbers and Iowa typically is somewhere in the middle and Northwestern is always at the bottom or, or top however you're viewing it of they have the least amount of transfers and there's maybe other reasons for for wanting to stay there but it's somebody who has made that program way more successful than it should be really and uh, losing him would be tough for the Big Ten but it would definitely make Iowa's road to a Big Ten championship game easier because I have a hard time imagining anybody able to duplicate the results that he's had because really nobody's been able to do it long-term there before. Yeah, and 
honestly, you know, could you foresee him ever leaving Northwestern for a, a higher up college, you know, program? Cause I can't. No, I, I think for him, it's, it's either Northwestern or somewhere in the NFL. And maybe he just finds that intriguing, you know, that prospect of being an NFL head coach and seeing what he can do at that level. Uh, I get that from a coaching standpoint of being able to, well, where am I at? What, what can I do at a different level? What if I, what if the playing field was even in terms of my ability to get players? You know, what if it's, it's a level playing field? What can I do? Because what he does at Northwestern is staggering. Like it's, it's, un, it's really unbelievable to me. I mean, because Northwestern really is closer to a Rutgers than it even is to an Iowa. Like if you look at what that program could, could be um, at other times, like you take him away or you take certain things away, they're, they're much closer to the bottom than they are to the top or they should be. And yet year after year, yeah, they've had some down years. Uh, he's competitive with them. Yeah, and I, I like what you said about, you know, him moving to the NFL and having sort of the idea of an even playing field. And if you even go to a team like Chicago or, you know, one of these kind of teams that throw around money and are attractive destinations for free agents, maybe you have a little bit of a leg up on teams like Detroit Lions and, you know, teams that don't attract that kind of market. And I do think that, you know, he is a kind of a, he's been at an unfair advantage since he stepped at Northwestern and, you know, he does over, he does recruit well, but it's almost like he's over exceeding um, in that department as far as just getting guys to come to Northwestern, because you look at the academics there and just the bar that a lot of these guys have to meet. And then you're talking about a team that, um, you know, Evanston, is not really an attractive destination in, you know, the United States as far as the college football landscape is concerned. And then Northwestern, you know, their game day environment, yeah, it's a historic, cool stadium, but it's not like you're playing at Kinnick or the Horseshoe or, you know, competing against some of these other Big Ten schools that have these crazy-looking resources. Northwestern is just really not that as far as, you know, sports are concerned. And he, he's been bringing in constant talent, maybe not like boatloads of NFL talent, but it really hasn't matter. I mean, they've made two big 10 championships in what the past five years that that's kind of crazy to think about when you're thinking about this team, because Northwestern coming into this year, I mean, think about what people's perspective on them was or expectations. A lot of people thought they were going to be the same team as last year and not make an impact at all. And here they are in the Big Ten championship game in the second half, hanging with Ohio State Buckeyes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nobody saw that coming. And they, they fire their offensive coordinator, you know, coming into the year. You've got a grad transfer uh, who – Ramsey's a nice player, but he was beat out at Indiana. That's why he left. So, you know, what he did is – and what he does year after year there uh, – is remarkable to me. I, I'm always amazed at that. And like you said, now, if he does, let's say he does go to the NFL um, and he levels that playing field, he would be a really good coach and, and an above average coach at that league. And he's a guy that understands um, how to communicate with people and how to get guys to buy into what he's doing. He's also a guy uh, that is into the uh, analytic side. I, have a no, I've got an acquaintance who works for an analytics company in Northwestern was actually their college pilot program, you know, a couple of years ago where Northwestern uh, agreed to work with them and, and do a lot of interesting things from, from the, you know, nerd side, I guess you could say. And he was really heavily into that and wanted to incorporate that to try to give his program any advantage he could. So I could see him being successful at that next level if that's a route he chooses. Yeah, and I think that's the interesting thing that I think or the misconception is with this Northwestern team and how it's been under Pat Fitzgerald. It's really evolved based on what kind of players they're able to bring in at the, that given time. They're not necessarily, you know, lining up in the eye every snap or doing what Wisconsin does and just kind of running a lot of power or, um, you know, a lot of timing passes. They, they've kind of been innovative with their passing game and, they're a little bit more gutsy than you might expect, just given what that the brand of Northwestern is, at least on the national level. And 
yeah, I guess that does play in sort of a guy being interested in analytics and actually applying them in game. And I, I think Kirk does take that has been taking that into effect too with his program as well. Um, you know, he's ta- he's mentioned it a few times in pressers and I, I don't think it's a secret anymore that Brian definitely incorporates, incorporates that quite a bit as well. Um, another thing I kind of want to talk about that now that we're just kind of going off and ranting and we, we don't really have a track at this point, but Brett Bielema's back in the big 10. Um, Lovey Smith is gone. What are your thoughts on that, that hire at Illinois? <laughs> I'm just really interested to see what Bielema does now that he's back in the big 10, because his experience at Arkansas was not a good experience. You know, he did not have successful success there. Uh, the fan base became irritated with him and the direction of the program pretty quickly. And now he's been out for a little bit. So I'm interested to see how he does now that he's back in the conference. You know, was it a scenario where he walked in and Barry Alvarez just had the plate set for him? And yeah, he was successful, but every coach that's been after him at, at Wisconsin has been successful too <laughs> at either the same level or I don't know if higher, but I mean, they've really just stayed, stayed Wisconsin because that's Barry Alvarez has set it up to be that way. He still has his pulse on that program. So, you know, I, I'm interested to see what happens. I don't think it's going to be, you know, I don't think he's going to turn Illinois into Wisconsin because much like some of the things we said about Northwestern, that's not a game day environment. That's going to be, you know, really exciting. You've got some Metro area, but football is not really the key sport at that school. Anyway, I would always say that they would lean toward basketball. It, they have some awful game day experiences in that football stadium. So from that standpoint, he has a major uphill battle to climb and Lovey put a decent foundation in terms of kind of getting some stability in there in terms of, you know, a direction of here's what we want to be. But at the same time, he was trying to supplement a lot of uh, transfers, whether grad transfers, JUCO guys. Um, So it was a lot of guys coming in and out anyway. So he has a total kind of rebuild and probably another gut job, you know, to start over at Illinois and try to bring that program back. But I would be surprised if he moves the needle there by much, but it's nice to have him back in the conference because it creates a little bit of that rivalry. We talked about Northwestern and how Pat Fitzgerald hates Iowa and it made Iowa fans then reciprocate that right back to Northwestern. It made Iowa care about that game. And does Iowa care really about the Illinois game over the last 10 years? Like, no, not at all. So it does bring a little bit of fun to that game. I can't say rivalry, but it, the, the border rivalry you could say so maybe it brings some intrigue from that standpoint but he has a tough sled um ahead of him yeah for sure i mean and you talked about it you know they do have a little bit of metro area that they touch as far as just their range and recruiting and their outreach as far as their fan base goes but it's so funny that you know <laughs> northwestern every single year tries to claim chicago as their fan base and Illinois tries to claim Chicago as their fan base and Chicago is just like we like Notre Dame <laughs> we, we don't even acknowledge you two so go over there in your little hubs and your boring atmosphere and we'll just we'll just watch the Golden Domers because they're right there on the corner not by too far so it'll be interesting to see what kind of uphill battle Brett Bielema has because you know does he go outside the box and say you know, forget the Midwest. I'm going to start recruiting in the areas that I was starting to recruit, you know, like Texas and Georgia and, you know, dipping into sort of these Southern states that he has some maybe potential tie-ins just from his time at Arkansas. You know, I, I, when you're, when you're talking to high school coaches down in, in that kind of region for enough time and you're recruiting against other SEC schools and getting teams to commit to a a lowly um, SEC school, just based on tiers, you know, maybe you can talk to somebody and and talk them into coming to Illinois. And I do think, like you said, it's another fun dynamic to add um, that he has those connections with Iowa and he's responsible for a lot of heartache that Iowa's had 
um, you know, the fake punt and all the other crap that goes with it. But, you know, it's fun to bring back a guy that has had success in the Big Ten and, you know, sort of give some fuel, at least initially, maybe for one or two years if he's a flame out, but to a game that Iowa fans just really do not care about in the least because Illinois every single year just feels like, oh, this is going to be Beth Moens at 11 a.m. and we'll see if Iowa wins by 30 or if they suck. <laughs> it's going to be interesting to see what they do from a recruiting footprint because you mentioned uh, Bielema coming from the SEC. But when he was at Iowa, one of the things he was really successful in his short time at Iowa was going into Florida and finding some under-the-radar guys. And he did the exact same thing when he was at Wisconsin. He went into Florida and found some guys that were game changers and made some impact plays when he was there. So does he do that at Illinois? He, as you said, he has those contacts. Traditionally, Illinois, when they've gone out of the Midwest, has really been an East Coast recruiting area is where they've went into the most. So does he have contacts there? Do, does he retain somebody on staff? You know, what does he do? Or do they completely change their recruiting footprint and say, no, okay, we're going to stay, try to stay in state, or we're going to go down to the Florida area and try to find some guys from the South that are maybe under-recruited or just, you know, maybe not the typical height and weight that some SEC coaches are going to look at and say, well, we'll give you the opportunity to come, come and play for us. But as you said, nobody in a radius of that school cares about Illinois football. I mean, nobody. So you do have to go out. You can't just say, well, we're going to lock down in state because Iowa's in there. You mentioned Notre Dame, Wisconsin, a ton of schools from the Midwest are going to be looking for those players that are in the state of Illinois. So he is going to have to do some things and try to find some guys um, in different places. And that's just going to take time. Yeah. And, it's going to be interesting to see what he does to that team just based on the build of their roster at each position group, because it's going to be so, if you're basing it based on his time in Arkansas and his time in, at Wisconsin, you know, that offensive line is going to be massively, um, you know, that's going to look like very different in three years as compared to now, right now, you know, under Lovey Smith, they've been running a lot of zone. They have guys that are sub 300 at Arkansas, every single player on their offensive line was 330-plus pounds at one point, including the center. So what, what is that going to look like? I mean, and when you also think about Brett Bielema teams, you think of running back committees with a lot of big backs and a lot of guys that are going to get a lot of touches. When you think of the Illinois teams of the past four or five years, you're thinking, oh, they're going to throw the ball 60 times, and maybe they have one athletic receiver that can come up and get it. But – just based on stylistically, especially on offense, you know, this team is going to look very different if Brett Bielema starts to get his guys and sticks to what he has already kind of established. And honestly, that that's a better, I think, blueprint to win in the Big Ten when you're facing these ball control heavy offenses and these good defenses because Illinois really didn't move the needle except for last year um, under Lovey Smith. And before that, it was a long time. Um, when they were doing really anything, maybe even back to who, who is the last successful Illinois head coach? I mean, you go back to, to the Rose bowl. Was that under was Zook there when, yeah, that was <laughs> when they had the Rose bowl with, uh, Sean Mendenhall in the, as a yep. running back. And they, they had some, some stuff and, and they had a little bit of excitement when juice Williams was their quarterback you know, he came onto the scene, was this big recruit right away, but, you know, ended up not really working out um, long-term for them. So, yeah, it's just, it's a spot where, you know, your coaching career is probably not going to be on the uptick there, which is why somebody like Brett Bielema, who had a lot of success at Wisconsin, is trying to find his way back into the Big Ten, and he has to take a job like that um, if he wants to try to raise his stock back up again. Yeah, he, you know, obviously he's a guy that is sort of like a social climber as far as college football head coaches go. You know, he, he got in at Wisconsin in a good situation, took advantage, advantage of that good situation, you know, admittedly brought in, you know, Russell Wilson, who kind of changed what the outlook of what a Wisconsin team could potentially do in the optimal uh, situation. 
And then he immediately took, you know, a big pay increase and wanted more control and really just wanted to overhaul and be the face of uh, a, a college football team where in Wisconsin, you know, it felt like he was in Barry Alvarez's shadow. And that's what we also heard from in the um, Gary Anderson in the past when he left Wisconsin, he basically just said like, I don't like being micromanaged. He never explicitly mentioned um, Barry Alvarez's, um, you know, overlooking, but it was heavily implied. And I imagine that it still is like that um, because Wisconsin hasn't changed and not from an identity standpoint in a long time, despite having many different head coaches. So, you know, when you look at Brett Bielema, it's going to really, he might be gone in three years. If this team can win six or seven games, he might be going to somewhere else. He might go, go back to the sec. Um, it just doesn't feel like a, a long-term spot for Brett Bielema in the most optimal sense. Well, or even if he, you know, is a flame out, he's probably gone in four years too, from that perspective. Yeah. I don't see this as being a spot where he aspires to be. And let's be honest, who wants to be in champagne at those games? <laughs> like yeah, nobody wants to be there. So it's like, well, I'll take my money. I'll try to boost my stock right now um, and maybe win a few games and see if I can get noted and kind of my name back in the hat for some of the bigger games. And maybe he can do it, but it's going to be hard. Like you said, when you're going to totally deviate from the current system of how they play and you want different body types, you want different schemes and those things take time and, and sometimes you can change it in a year or two. Um, but it, it's just a big change. So that's going to be interesting uh, to see. But as you mentioned earlier, it finally just gives, okay, the Illinois game is going to have a little, it's going to matter a little bit at least, which will be fun for the first time in quite a while. Yeah. And it does feel like a lot of these games that have been boring in the past are starting to get a little bit more, you know, juice under them, even, even a potential Rutgers matchup or a Maryland matchup maybe next year has a little bit more, you know, a little bit more excitement to it. You know, Maryland has a good quarterback and a young team with a new head coach who kind of has a fire to him. Um, Greg Schiano has really revitalized this Rutgers team in a way that they're starting to look good. And you know what game is starting to get super boring? Nebraska. <laughs> I love that. I love that. They, they brought in this, this, you know, hot shot young coach that was a former player. And that game has pro progressively gotten more boring. <laughs> quick, quick, quick tangent and rant on that. The statement from Nebraska and from other schools, so they're not the only one in this, about we're going to opt out of bowl season. And I get it technically everybody could could have played but this statement if we're going to opt out it's been such a hard season for these guys and it's mentally draining and like some years yeah we're going to opt out because it is four or six more weeks of practice but this year it wasn't it's like two to three more weeks you're in the iowa uh in kirk ferentz's press conference or maybe it was just a statement uh after they announced that he had tested positive for covid19 he said the player, the advisory committee voted in overwhelming support of playing this game. And you can't tell me if that team was having any success that those players wouldn't want to be playing, you know? So for all these schools that are saying we're opting out, it's been so hard on our guys <laughs> and we need to give them like, it was two more weeks and you can't tell me those kids wouldn't have wanted to go play somebody in two more weeks for that. So just, all of those statements, just a bunch of BS. And I, I just, every time I see one of those, it just drives me crazy. Yeah. That's effectively waving the white flag and basically saying, stop the bleeding, stop the count. It's over. It's over. And if you can't inspire, if, if the players really aren't up for, you know, playing another game against an out of conference schedule or out of conference opponent, you have failed as a coach to motivate and inspire your team to want to keep playing. And if you're getting dogged like that week after week and they, they're just like, all right, well, we're going to go home. We'll, we'll just end the season. We'll get them next year. I mean, come on. Wasn't Nebraska the team on the forefront of, we want to play college football and, and at the start of the year? And then all of a sudden they were, they were crying about having to play Ohio State and Penn State. And they had such a tough schedule. And Big Ten was, was purposely – um, scheduling them tougher opponents because they were complaining about the conference. I mean, give me a break. I, 
Scott Frost is a joke. I, Scott Frost is such a joke. I'm glad Nebraska sucks. <laughs> I, I couldn't say it any better. And this, they went from anyone, anytime, anywhere to like, oh no, we're tired and it's been really hard. And look, I bet the season has been hard because I know from, from talking to some different people that, you know, these, they don't have much of a life during the season. It was, they had class, they'd go to the football facilities, they'd go back to, to their house or apartment, wherever they were living. And they would just kind of have to hang out. And it's hard. I get it. If you're, you know, an 18 to 22 year old and not being able to have much of a social life, like I get it, that would be hard, but we know from Iowa city, from that vote, those, those guys want to play football. Like that's why they're at the university of Iowa. You know? Yeah. They're going there. They're, they're student athletes, but they went there to play football and they work 12 months a year and they work their tails off to play football. And to play one more game, those guys want to play, especially those seniors. You tell me I get to go out with my buddies and we get to lock arms one more time and go play. Yeah, like I want to play. So this, oh, we're done and we don't want to do this anymore. Such a load of crap. Yeah, uh, honestly, when I see those statements, it drives me crazy. And can you even imagine, let's just say Davion Nixon declares for the draft after Missouri, if that game gets played. I don't think Iowa will ever be a team where if they have a star guy, whether it's a Desmond King or an Adrian Claiborne or an AJ Epinesa or Davion Nixon, that they would declare to opt out of the bowl game and just go straight to the draft. I just don't see that as being like the way Iowa inspires their players. It just feels like Iowa's star guys are not me centric or self-centered or, you know, the kind of players that, would even think about the health um, implications of potentially getting hurt in a bowl game. They're thinking about the team and saying, you know, if I'm not there, they're worse. And I want to compete with my guys one last time. And you can say, you know, Davion Nixon would be better suited not playing Missouri. And I would be absolutely agreeing with you. And from just, if I was an agent, you know, prospective agent, I would say skip the freaking bowl game. Who cares about Missouri? But it's just the aura that I was coaching staff and this program gives off that these guys want to keep playing every single game that they can with their guys. And like you said, running on the field, locking arms. And when they graduate or go on the NFL, they always keep that Iowa pride to them. And, you know, George Kittle mentions it almost every single time he's on any kind of syndicated national TV show or radio show. And Adrian Claiborne is still touched in with the Iowa fan base. And we know just from, you know, contributing to Blackheart Gold Pants, Iowa former Iowa players want to be involved with the Iowa fan base still. And that's kind of a special feeling to have because that's not the same way it is everywhere. Yeah. I always had several guys who have had the opportunity to skip out. And I think they've had one. I I think Noah Fant's the only one that didn't, didn't participate in the bowl game. And they've had a lot of guys have that opportunity, but as you said, they want to go play one more time and they want to go, they want to put that helmet on one more time for, for their university and go play with their best friends. And that's what those guys want to do. Like they want to play football. And I just can't imagine if you're a Nebraska player and you're a senior and saying, man, I'm sure glad my last game, we went to, to Rutgers and we played, you know, we, we played at Rutgers and we got that win. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. You know, you got your win, but that's, that's your shining light at the end of the season, the end of your career, like, okay, like have fun. Yeah. Well, I am. This episode was fun. I, I had a good time. I unexpectedly went longer than I thought it would. Um, but yeah, this was fun. <laughs> you know, a little bit about, about Iowa's next game. Some, some other things happening in, in the big 10 West, you know, maybe one of these times we'll get, get to go on to, you know, some of the things happening with the basketball team and yes, and hopefully, you know, in a few weeks, maybe we can get uh, the wrestling program should be starting up. Hopefully um, some announcements on that. And, you know, there's some guys, uh, former Hawkeye players in the NFL that have earned pro bowl trips and are playing at really high level as well. So 
uh, even though you kind of have the off season coming for, for Hawkeye football, there's still a ton of things to talk about within the Hawkeye football and just sports world in general. Right. And, you know, like TJ Hawkinson got announced to the Pro Bowl. Um, that was big news. CJ Beathard got into the game for the 49ers through a Hail Mary touchdown. And now he's looking like the starter this week too. And like, I think it's because the Cardinals. So I'll be watching that game. I think most of Iowa, Iowa's fan base, as far as football is concerned, will be watching that game. There is a lot of fun things going on, you know, and, and that's super cool that it's, it's so cool to think about that. Iowa's football as like Iowa's football program has kind of just sprouted to all these different directions. And there's so much to talk about and there's so much going on. That's fun just with Iowa athletics in general. And it's Iowa, you know, th- should this be happening in a, in a, in a state like this or a team or a university like this? It just feels super special to be an Iowa fan. And especially when, you know, the basketball team's top four in the country, Iowa football is balling out. The guys that Iowa football puts into the NFL are balling out and it it does feel like we're just kind of the diamond in the rough that everybody kind of overlooks nationally until they just can't and we always force their hand yeah I'm just really keeping my fingers crossed that this game with Missouri even though I'm not it's not something it's not the most exciting matchup I'm still excited to watch this version of Iowa football take the field one more time this year and I mentioned last time like I'm so happy that we got to see at least eight games of this team and to watch them grow because you've mentioned it. It is a talented team. It's a team that plays together. It's a team that's overcome a tough off season with a lot of different things going on and guys came together uh, and made the football program better, made the university better and are going to go on to just make the world better by all the things that they did, uh, you know, coming together and, and all the things to make this football program better. So really just keeping my fingers crossed. I want to watch this team one more time. I want to watch them go out and beat up another team because I just take such great joy watching the physicality of this Iowa football team. So to watch that one more time uh, is going to be a lot of fun and I'm really looking forward to it. I'm right there with you. I, I, I can't wait to watch this team. Hopefully they play one more time. Because you can't get enough of how good this team is and just how fun it is. And the stars did align for this team. So enjoy it because who knows when another iteration of a team of this quality is going to come around at the University of Iowa. You know, and obviously Iowa basketball is fun too. And you don't know when you'll get another Luca Garza if you'll ever get another Luca Garza. So enjoy that. Spencer Lee for wrestling. Caitlin Clark for women's basketball. I mean, it's just a fun time to be an Iowa sports fan. And as we, you know, come to the wrap on the college football season, there's still things to look forward to. Um, there's still the draft to look forward to, and there's still going to be anticipation even after Iowa plays this bowl game if they do, just based on who stays, who goes. Does Tyler Lunderbaum declare? Does Davion Nixon declare? Does, you know, somebody, you know, opt out? Or does somebody even come back that was supposed to graduate or technically go on to the NFL after this season? There's a lot of things to be interested about, and that's super cool. Um, with that said, you know, we'll leave you guys there. Um, probably went a little bit long for not having a game to even talk about from this past week, but we had a fun time. Hopefully you did too. Um, Merry Christmas and happy holidays to all of you guys out there and gals. If there's any girls listening to this podcast, highly doubt it. Um, <laughs> but with that said, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'll, you can follow me at RobDFB. And if you want to follow Thad on Twitter, you can follow him at tnels20. And, you know, we'll see you in a future pod. Take it easy.